From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. It's hard to believe that senior day for basketball is already in the rearview mirror, but that was indeed the scene for the four Gator seniors on Wednesday night against Arkansas. We'll hear more later in the show about what made it such a unique senior night from FloridaGators.com's senior writer Chris Harry, but first we'll turn the focus to the only senior among the group to start and finish his career in Gainesville. It hasn't always been an easy path for point guard Casey Hill, but he's having a phenomenal final season, and most importantly, the team is winning. Given that that is of paramount importance to Hill, we begin our conversation by asking him why the team has had so much success this year. Um, I think everybody just was really bought in to what Coach wanted us to do um, when we met in the summer, and he laid everything out for us. Guys, they just really turned and, and, and was committed to, to what he wanted and buying into the culture and buying into his playing style, um, the way he wants to play defense, the way he wants to run the offense. Everybody really just wanted to win, and also everybody was in the gym working on their game in the summer, and I think that's helping too. How did that change from the first year? Because obviously you guys meet over the summer when the coaching staff first came in and you had a plan. Why was this year different and more successful? Um, we just – we didn't really know. We didn't know him that well. Um mm-hmm. We didn't talk to Coach um, as much. Um, one thing this year he changed, uh, everybody had to come by and see him. Every time we came in the facility um, for practice, come watch film, come talk to him. Um, little stuff like that, that builds up trust. Well, the year before, we, we never did that, so we only seen him on the court. And mm-hmm. um, I think that definitely everybody coming up and seeing him every day, um, everybody felt more comfortable around him and mm-hmm. start trusting him more. Um, because we seen he really wanted what was best for us and what was best for the team and to make us better and have a successful season. What goes on in those meetings? When you stop by and see him, are you talking just about basketball? Are you talking about life? What What are those like? Uh, some days we just come up and we just say what's up. Um, he might not have nothing for us um, mm-hmm. basketball-wise. Um, other days we watch film from the game before or the practice before, or we just watch – our individual clips, um, how we can get better offensively or defensively. Part of the reason the team has had success is because lots of individuals are also having success, and that includes you. So I'm curious, what do you think has allowed you to elevate your game to the next level here in your senior year? Um, Just doing what the coaches want me to do, Um, having the confidence in myself, um, working out on my game all summer, Um, working with Coach May, um, really watching a lot of film with him, breaking down stuff, and – just being in the gym with Coach May all summer and just really putting in extra work. I feel like players always talk about how film study sort of evolves over their time and they become more and more understanding of what that means. So as you've grown as a player, what do you take from film now that maybe you didn't get when you were a freshman? Uh, I was always interested in watching film, even as a freshman. Um, I just didn't really understand like how to use it in the, in the games. Mm-hmm. Back then, um, like I know how to use it, like I've learned how to use it. Just watching simple things like getting over a ball screen. Um, one play you can die on a ball screen, the next play you can blast through it. Um, just simple things like that. Um, 
learning how to get through screens, learning when the defense is going to come up and drop it off to the mm-hmm. other guy, just little stuff like that. Um, just a lot of film, and it, it really helps. If we can take things back a bit, most people know that you were McDonald's All-American. They know about all that stuff. But tell us what people might not know about where you grew up and where you come from and your family. Um, yeah, I came from a small town. Uh, it's called Umatilla, Florida. I grew up with my mom. I grew up with my grandmother. Um, and then I grew up with the Simmons family who's been taking care of me ever since the fifth grade. And my other family also takes care of me too. But, uh, yeah, a lot of people probably don't know that I have two families. I, mm-hmm. I would say the Simmons family and my real family. And uh, I'm very grateful and thankful for uh, the Simmons family for helping my parents and helping my grandmother take care of me. How have they both played a role in your life? In what ways did they interact? Where did one family help you in a certain area? And then where did the other part step in and help you grow? Uh, I mean, I would say the Simmons family, they just taught me how to really be responsible, how to be a man. Um, I had to grow up a lot faster than a lot of kids my age um, when I was living with my real family um, for a majority of the time. But uh, I would say the Simmons family, they really helped me just grow, mature. Um, They helped me see a lot of things that my other family couldn't necessarily help me see. Mm -hmm. And my real family, they just taught me how... um, to stay loyal, things happen for a reason. Stay grounded, stay humble. Um, don't think you're above anyone. Just just be you and, and stay out of the way of others. Do you remember when you first got into basketball, how were you introduced to the game and, and where did the love for the sport come from? Um, I started playing when I was in second grade. Um, I started going to tournaments and then I started going to a lot of camps and stuff when I was younger um, with some of the best players in the country and doing well at those camps um, that's when the love for the game started to grow I looked up to my cousin his name was Brandon that's who I wanted to be like because I saw how good he was and I, I would go watch his game sometimes when I was little with my grandma and that's when I really started wanting to play basketball like when I first seen him play I saw how good he was and then I just fell in love with it after that and you've also said that you were a really good football player, but your mom did not want you playing football anymore. So how much did that play into it as well? I mean, I loved football, um, and I I really thought I was really good at it. But once it was around that time where guys started tearing their ACLs and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and my mom was like, no, you're not playing that anymore. So this wasn't even concussion stuff. This is just this nah, is it was just ACLs, like knee injuries. Knee injuries yeah, wow. It was like knee injuries. And my mom was just like, no, you're not playing that anymore. And I was fine with that. I mean, I started to become better at basketball. Mm-hmm. But I, football was my first love. Um, definitely was my first love. And then I got better at basketball. My mom was like, you're not playing that anymore. I'm going to take a shot here. Uh, running back. I played running back. Okay. I definitely played running back. And I played safety. And then I played a little bit of quarterback. But I wouldn't throw it. I would just run it. <laughs> <laughs> so you just did a little bit of everything. Yeah, a little bit of everything. But I love playing safety. I was just fast at running back. I wasn't really a running back. I just was a lot faster mm-hmm. than everybody. I remember talking to, to Justin Leon about this last year, and he talked about his background in, in playing football as well and where he used that in basketball when he focused on basketball. What do you take from football and any other sports that you've played that have channeled into your basketball game as that's developed? I would definitely say playing defense, like stealing the ball. Just getting learning, back to safety, right? Yeah, learning how to, like, I guess, trick the quarterback to, like, let him know you're not there, um, but you're really there. And when the break on the ball and stuff like that, um, I definitely learned how to play defense, I would say, from football and carry that over to basketball. Now, when it was time to start recruiting and, and you were in all the camps, you, you knew what came with that territory. 
what stood out to you about Florida, especially a time when so many of the McDonald's All-Americans were going to Kentucky, they're going to Kansas. What, what made you want to come to Florida? Um, I really came here because I wanted to play for Coach Donovan. Um, that was the guy who I trusted, um, I felt the most comfortable with, and that's who I wanted to play for, and that's why I came here. When you first got here, I know you were reserved and you were kind of the young guy on a team full of upperclassmen on that incredible 2014 team. How did your role develop when you got in? Because you came in as, as such a, a big name with so many accolades, but then a team was already loaded with so many big-time players. How did you sort of find your way on that team? Um, I mean, it was easy for me. Um, those guys, they made it easy for me. Pat, Will, Casey. Um, Scotty wasn't around a lot, so I didn't really get to – talk and like really learn a lot from him at first and I was thrown right into the fire I had to play right away because mm-hmm. Scotty was suspended I think but the other guys like Pat Will um, Casey Dodo those guys they made it easy for me and they kept me confident they kept me grounded I would say um, not thinking like getting too high and not getting too low mm-hmm. and um, they helped me out a lot um, I would definitely say that they played a big big role in that season for me but then when Scotty came back, it was like, oh, he's the senior on the team. Um, and Scotty, he was a great player. Mm-hmm. I just watched, uh, sat back and watched him as much as I could, watched how competitive he was, how good he was on defense. And uh, when I got in, I tried to, that's what I tried to do now. I just tried to make that my role, just be a defender, I guess, and be competitive and, and do what Scotty's doing on the court. Uh, Basically, that was really what I was trying to do. When I talked to Coach Nichols about you a few weeks ago, he said that it's so difficult for guys nowadays who come in with the McDonald's All-American label and everything that goes with it because of social media, because of the expectations and fans. And How yeah. did you balance that when you got here? Because clearly there was a lot expected of you. How did you weigh that with trying to just get into the culture and get into college while also handling all of that baggage? Um, It was something like... I knew what came with being a McDonald's All-American. Um, I knew what type of player I was. I knew all that stuff was going to come. When I got here, I was just like, man. I'm, I went through it in, in high school, but not like when I got to college. It, it got a lot worse because I'm there's more people. Um, you see more people. You're on more things. Um, I didn't really know how to balance it, I would say. But um, it was just like, I don't know, people had, they had to say whatever they had to say, and there was really nothing I could do about it but keep playing, honestly. I, I couldn't really stop stop it from happening. Right. Uh, it just was going to happen. Like you said, it's too much social media mm. and stuff. Um, people, are, they're going to see you. Um, you can't hide from people. So there was really no way that I could balance it out. All I could do was just focus on basketball. I guess it's, it's hard to call an honor like that a curse, but I'm curious, when you look at it now in hindsight, is it almost, does it, hold players back not just you but if you could look at guys now who are younger do you think that that's a positive thing or does it almost put too much pressure on players coming right out of high school I wouldn't say it puts too much pressure on players um when you're that type of player you know what comes with your name you Mm -hmm. know what comes with the McDonald's All-American all the all the accolades and stuff that you get in high school it's just something that comes with it and you got to be able to handle it um I definitely would say you you need help with handling it, mm-hmm. maybe from guys who have been in that situation before. I think that would be the main thing I would tell somebody who is in that position. Um, ask somebody who's been in a position before for help, and you'll get through it. We talked about the very beginning just how important winning has been to you and why that's made this senior year so sweet. How much of that comes from going to the Final Four as a freshman and having so much success right out of the gates and knowing what that tastes like to be a part of that. I would say the, the Final Four and 
having that success, it definitely plays a part in what we have going here. Um, just little things like always being together, like on the plane, playing cars and stuff, like mm -hmm. just bonding like that. Um, that Final Four team, we had a, a different bond with each other. Uh, we wanted to win for the next person, and on this team now, that's how that's how it is. Nobody cares about the individual stats. Everybody just want to win and, and get back to the tournament and and put Florida back where we were and change the culture. And I think uh, we're doing a great job of that. And I think Coach White is going to continue to do a great job with it. You've talked in the past about specifically Casey Prather and Dorian Finney-Smith and the impact they had on you. Can you talk about why those two were so important to you? Um, when I got here, those were the guys who I was around the most and we had similar backgrounds with our, our dads. All of our dads were out of our lives and they grew up with their moms too. So immediately, without even stepping on the basketball court, I was I could relate to them and it was so easy for me to just be around them and, and talk to them. And I, it wasn't even about like, our past and stuff, but you just some guys you just click better with when you know that they've been through mm -hmm. the same thing as you. And they were older than me, and I looked up to them. It was like whatever they did, uh, I was trying to do too because those were the guys who I looked up to. How much you're able to stay in touch with all of those greats from the past nowadays that they're all off in various parts of the world playing? Um, it's it's very easy to stay in touch. Like I said, uh, those guys um, I looked up to. Casey, Dodo, we talk almost every day or every other day. Hmm. Even Eli, uh, we have a group message that we talk in <laughs> on uh, Instagram and on iMessage. <laughs> and then um, I was just talking to Pat a couple of days ago, and um, I talk to Maurice Space often, pretty much. Uh, he's always watching the games, and he's always helping me. Like, if we have, like, a bad game, he's like, you got to tell the guys this. <laughs> That's how we did it when, right. when they were winning. And, I mean, he was on those championship teams. It was like whenever – things went bad um guys like Noah or Horford would come in and they would say this so he helps me a lot um I would say he, he played a big part in helping me um say things and becoming a better leader um for this team throughout the season see that's so interesting because you didn't even overlap with Maurice Spates as a player so where did that relationship come from AAU he would travel with us um because uh he had an AAU team but um, he would he would definitely travel with us, and he would go to some of the tournaments. And he was just like us. Uh, he loves basketball. He loves playing two K stuff like that. <laughs> and we just we just built a relationship through AAU before I even came to Florida. And he knew that I was coming to Florida mm -hmm. too, and he came to Florida and he went to Florida. So we just built that relationship. We've talked about guys who've had a big impact on you, and yet today when I talk to any of your teammates to a T, I ask all of them who is the leader on this team, who is the voice, and they all say you. What is it that you've been able to do here as you come to the end of your career that you've now become that figure to all these younger players? Um, I just think that um, uh, I put a team first. I've always been a team first guy. Just individual accolades have came with that. And at times it may seem like I, I was never a team guy because of my individual stuff that came with it. But I think because I've always been a team guy, um, I'm very humble. I don't think I'm better than anyone. I, th I just put the team first. I think that's why a lot of those guys, they would say that. When you're watching film with those guys, when you're doing things that you talk about, you did as a freshman, now you're on the other side of it, how much do you take from what you learned in your early years and try and give that to them? Guys like Eric Hester, we talked about that a lot when I spoke to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I definitely try to help him, especially on a defensive end. That's just the same thing that Scotty would do for me. Um, mm -hmm. If I was doing something wrong in practice, he would come pull me over to the side and tell me that I need to be right here on the right line or when that I can when I can cheat or 
jump the lane for passes or how to cut a guy off. Um, I definitely try to help E with some of those same things, and I learned some of that stuff from Scotty. As a leader on this team, you've had to bear a pretty big burden in the last few weeks with John Igbunu's injury and, and the resulting impact on the team. What has your role been in shepherding this team through what's undoubtedly a difficult time when you lose a guy of, of that stature? Uh, I mean, my role has been the same. I, um, I don't think my role's changed at all. Um, it's just getting the guys ready to play. Um, everybody was sad when it happened, but we're over that now, and we just want to keep winning. You said earlier you came here to play for Billy Donovan, and now as you end your career, you're playing for Mike White. What have been the benefits of being able to play for two different coaches who obviously bring different things to the table? Oh, well, Coach Donovan was – he's a great coach. He's going to be a Hall of Fame coach. Mm -hmm. um, I got to learn as much as I could from him in those two years. Um, coach White, I love how competitive they are. Um, all the coaches on the coaching staff, they're very competitive. They play every single day. <laughs> they talk trash. They they just – I love how competitive they are and how much they love basketball. And he doesn't care about anything that you do on offense as long as you're playing defense. And I think that's, that's a good way to coach. Um, as long as your guys are playing defense and they're playing hard, they should have the freedom to play on offense. Mm -hmm. And uh, I like that about Coach White. You are a self-proclaimed quiet guy. So for a quiet guy, how difficult was it for you to develop the voice that it took to become a leader in your final season? It was very difficult. Um, I think I became more of a leader by my actions more than talking. Mm -hmm. But um, it was definitely hard to start communicating more. Um, that was one thing Coach Donovan told me when I first got here. You have to talk more. Um, you can't be this quiet, laid-back guy. Um, you have to talk on the court and – it's easy for me to talk on the court because, I mean, I know I have to do it in order to play well um, and help your teammates. You have to talk. So it's a lot easier for me to talk out there, and I'm comfortable around those guys, so mm -hmm. it's way easier. Um, it's not easy just talking around anybody. <laughs> um, it's not weird either, but it's just different. You're not comfortable around mm -hmm. those guys because you're, you're not around them all the time or it's not like a family. As you wind down your career, how much time do you spend thinking about – moments or games are there things that stand out to you when you think about your best memories from your time here not really I'm not a really uh, reminiscent type guy mm -hmm. I live in the moment I would say I don't really be like man I'm gonna miss this I'm gonna miss that um I'm gonna have relationships with these guys if I leave when I whenever I leave mm -hmm. and I don't know I, I don't I'm not really big on memories or thinking back with stuff like that so I th I'll be fine Final thing for you, by the time everybody hears this, senior day will have come and gone for you on Wednesday night. What are you thinking about as that builds up? I guess not, not a lot of the, oh, of this, I'm going to miss this, miss that, because that's not really your style. But, I mean, what do you imagine that moment's going to be like when you walk out on the court and you're there with both your families and, and recognized by the Gator Nation? I just think my family's going to be very happy. Um, I know my grandma's going to be happy. and I know my mom's going to be happy, and I'll be happy that they're happy. Stay true to that. Casey, yes, thank you very much. We appreciate it. No problem. It's rare to have a senior day where all four players being honored took vastly different paths to reach their final destination, but that was no doubt the case for this particular class. As they wrapped up their home careers with a strong showing against Arkansas, Chris Terry wanted to zero in on what led each of those Gators to an unlikely shared conclusion. 
this is really a, a unique senior class because you're talking about Casey Hills, a four-year guy. You have Justin Leon, who was an unrecruited high school guy from Arkansas who had to go the JUCO ranks to get here. You have a uh, Skylar Rimmer, who was a, who's a walk-on, who left the scholarship at Stanford to come to Florida because he grew up a Gator fan. He's from Orlando. And then you had Canyon Berry, who came here with a physics degree in hand from the College of Charleston, was looking for a place to experience big-time college basketball in his one-year eligibility. I mean, four, dot, four different guys coming from different places, the confluence of which ends at a senior night here. And Mike White puts them all out in the starting lineup uh, alongside Kayvon Allen. And damn if the guys don't go out in, in the first uh, four-plus minutes. All of them score. They open up a 12-point lead for the home team. And really just kind of did it by what they've done since they've been here, and that's play unselfishly. Uh, when I say since they've been here, I really mean this team because uh, a lot of growing up and a lot of maturation had to go on for the Gators to get to where they are right now in Mike White's second season. Casey Hill is one of the guys who's obviously at the forefront of that, uh, both on the court and in the locker room, taking on a leadership role, excuse me. And toward the end of the game, Mike White uh, was in the huddle and he motioned to the four of them. And there's 40 seconds left in the game, still a nine-point game. He sent them all to the other side of the court to wave to the uh, Rowdy Reptiles and take a curtain call. And it was kind of like a cool moment for these guys. And here they are in their senior year. They only got to play 10 home games, but they won nine of them. And this is the uh, 17 in Florida history, Adam, to uh, win 24 games in a regular season. Wow. There's been some pretty good teams here. Yeah. And uh, this was a team that a year ago at this point had 17 wins and was going to the NIT um, and got uh, beat substantially say by 12 or whatever, by Kentucky on a senior night. So congratulations to those guys. But at the same time, uh, their curtain call was momentary because they all still believe there's a lot of work to be done. Well, And how important was it for them to bounce back the way they did with this win over Arkansas? Because after Kentucky, you're on a nice long run and you lose, and maybe for a second some doubt creeps in when that winning streak gets snapped. So how important was it to respond with this performance? I mean, Florida controlled the game for the entirety of the evening. Yeah, there's no doubt, but at the same time, Adam, it was more important than you could imagine because Arkansas was one game back in the standings. Mm -hmm. uh, if Florida lost today, Arkansas is a game back with a chance to overtake Florida for the number two seed in the SEC tournament. What happens, Florida takes care of business and clinches that number two seed in the SEC tournament. They do it against the team, again, Arkansas, that had won five in a row. Um, Arkansas, for under Mike Anderson, has been a, a team with a reputation for not being good at all on the road. But this Arkansas team has won six road games in league play. They'd won their last three, and they were coming here to get a, a, a nice mounted head for their NCAA tournament trophy case. Um, they're trying to get back to tournament. They're right there, I think. I think they're comfortably in right now. I think you know, maybe another win or two certainly uh, put them in excellent position. But uh, the Hogs are going to the tournament, and Florida took care of business against them. And it, it's a high-scoring team, Arkansas, and you have Florida. Mm -hmm. Holds them 15 points below their scoring average like they've been doing consistently during this run of 11 wins in the last 12 games. And Arkansas is actually a really good three-point shooting team, and Florida held them just two three-pointers in the second half when they were trying to come back in the game. We talked about what does Florida do without Johnny Bunu? What's the game plan going forward? And it looks like the Arkansas game almost served as a blueprint of sorts in terms of getting a little bit from multiple guys, maybe an amalgam of sorts. You get 10 minutes out of Skyler Rimmer. You get nine minutes from Keith Stone, eight minutes from Gorjak Gak. No one of those guys is going to be Johnny Bunu, but it seems like they found a way to kind of patchwork it together. Yeah, and let's talk about the last two guys you mentioned. Let's talk about Gorjak Gak. He's a guy who sprained his foot two and a half weeks ago, and really the guy's played 40 minutes this season. 
very little time in, in what I would call meaningful minutes, maybe a little on earlier in the year against Florida golf coats or Mercer or something like that, but certainly nothing with any teeth in it in the SEC. But here I was in, I'd say, five minutes, four minutes left in the half, and Kamaris Hayes gets a second foul. Rumors got two fouls. Got to throw Gorchak back in. He was cleared for practice yesterday and went through shoot around today. He goes out there. He, he's, he's a project for sure, mm-hmm. Adam, but he's also a warm body, and you got to play warm bodies when you're in the situation the Gators are in. But he's in there. He takes one shot. He makes it. He grabs a couple rebounds. He had a couple other in his hands that he got swatted out of his hands. So that's stuff he has to work on. The guy's going to get stronger. But now they have another option that they did not have the other day. Okay. And now we go to Keystone, who, you know, we saw what Keystone was capable of early on in the season when he hung 17, excuse me, on Miami. Then he had 14 in that overtime game against uh, Georgia when he went three for three from three. Then he disappeared, basically vanished. I mean, both not only physically, but actually his confidence. He got a viral infection, and he was invisible for the last close to a month and a half. But last few practices, Mike White talked about it afterwards, he started to show up a little bit more in practice. That's few practices since he got sick the last couple of days. He scores eight points in a row. Not just eight points, eight points in a row. Mm-hmm. And, again, at, at a critical time when Arkansas was trying to, you know, maybe get a little confidence, get something going and trying to get back in the game a little bit. He had a two and then an N one, and then he hit a three ball right, right mm-hmm. from the corner. And he had not made a three-point shot since that Georgia game, which I believe was around about January the 14th. So now now we've added two more pieces to that rotation that I was saying that is only going to help piece together how you're going to help guys in the interior. And I can't stress how important Keystone could eventually be, Adam, because if he is a four and a five man, which he is, or playing some five, if he can hit that three, he can draw guys, big guys away from the basket. And, I mean, Gators could have really used that maybe at Kentucky the other day with Bam out of bio down there. Mm-hmm. But now they have it. We'll see if Keystone's confidence holds. But uh, if I'm Mike White, I'm really happy about what I got out of those two guys. We talked to Casey Hill earlier in the podcast, and you know, so much of the story about him is his growth over his four years and how much he's changed as a player. In what ways have you seen Casey Hill grow the most from your perspective? Just as a leader, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, he was part of a Final Four team, and he was a wingman for Scotty Wilbekin, and just kind of, you know, he was impressionable with all those four seniors, four great seniors on that team that won 30 games in a row. And then this is a victim of his expectations. I mean, sure. and his expectations were external. He's a McDonald's All-American. People thought he was a one-and-done caliber guy. And in talking to him this week, he said uh, he always knew who he was. And I don't know if that meant that he always knew he'd be here four years. I don't know if that's the case or not. But uh, I think as his career went on, he got an idea that he was going to be here. And he also got an idea as his career went on, Adam, that his career here would eventually end and he wanted to make the best of it. And his last two years, uh, they weren't very good. He started to really uh, figure some things out, I think, late last season. Uh, he played the best basketball of his career late in the year during that little NIT run. But what he did more than anything else is really take ownership uh, behind the scenes with this team in terms of challenging guys, calling guys out, making guys accountable. And that's something that uh, became contagious. When he was calling guys out to be accountable, that meant he had to be accountable, and he knew that too. And so uh, I give him all the credit in the world for that, and certainly Mike White would give him all the credit in the world because – uh, Mike White has said he wanted the culture to go back to the way it was in Billy Donovan had this thing really going. And, uh, you know, not a lot of Billy Donovan teams are 24 and 6. So mm-hmm. um, Mike White's got it back going a little bit. Now, this is one year, of course, but there's some promise on this team. And uh, they can certainly make some noise in the postseason starting uh, next week with the SEC tournament in Nashville. But first things first, they got to go to Nashville one time before that. Yes, yeah, so let's finish with that. Vanderbilt on the road. 
you talked about some of the things Florida's already accomplished, and they've locked up the number two seed in the tournament. They still have a chance at the SEC title if Kentucky slips up, but is the biggest motivation a chance to avenge that home loss to Vanderbilt and wrap up the year the right way? I mean, I think they just want to win games. If you start thinking about, hey, Vanderbilt, beat the Gators, you know, we're going to go. That starts introducing stuff into it that coaches don't like to do. Um, What they'll do is they'll use that game to remind them why they lost. They lost because they didn't follow their game plan. They allowed Vanderbilt to do what it does best, shoot threes. You know, they're going up there. Vanderbilt is right on the cusp of making the NCAA tournament with a record that's not that good. I believe they're 16 to 13, 17 to 14, something like that. Hmm. Um, But (laughs) you sweep Florida. And now you got a sweep against a team that's in the top 10 RPI. That's yeah. going to look pretty good for the postseason guys. And this is going to be Vanderbilt's senior night. And I, I said this before, Vanderbilt has a lot of the same traits that Florida has in that they got their, their best players are upperclassmen. So, you know, nothing's going to happen to phase them. They're going to know what it takes to beat the Gators, just like they did when they came here and did it. Uh, Luke Cornett, Matthew Fisher-Davis, Riley the Chance, those are three really, really good basketball players and uh They'll be psyched up for this game, and it's Florida's lost three of the last four there. So, if Florida can go to Nashville and win, exit the regular season twenty-five and six, uh, I, I think Mike White's going to end up being the SEC Coach of the Year. But uh, th- that would just be a phenomenal run. But uh, easier said than done. Like I said, that's a really, really tough place to play, and some things have to go right for them. But first and foremost. They have to stick to the game plan, and that starts on the defensive end. Well, the stakes are very high right now, and Chris, we thank you so much, as always, for giving us the latest. All right, Adam. Thank you. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to Gator Tales on the podcast app of your choice, and please leave us a review so we can continue to grow. We'll be back with an all-new episode next week. So until then, I'm Adam Schick, thanking you for joining us here on Gator Tales. Gator Tales.